Hello and welcome to the Codec Moments podcast. I'm Andy Brown at Clinical Andy on Twitter. And with me today on this, it's a lovely sunny afternoon actually, which um, is unusual. Normally it's dark outside when we do this. It is? Yeah. It's a bit strange seeing you in natural light. Oh, doctor. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Matthew Holt. Hello. At Codec Moments on Twitter if you want to get in touch. Uh, so how the devil are you, sir? I'm quite good. I'm quite good. It's been uh, been an interesting week, and we've been talking about lots of different bits and pieces. Uh, quite a bit of news. I actually feel like we're doing some proper news stuff, which is, in effect, what we're really here to talk about, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> certainly is. So yes, it's that time for our regular uh, weekly omnibus of the flash briefings that we put out on Amazon's Alexa. Monday, the 19th of March. The nominations are in. It is time, or nearly time, for the video game BAFTAs, which I think you could say will probably be the equivalent of the Oscars for games. Or the, or, but they're not really, they're the BAFTAs for games. So I was going to say, are they not just the BAFTAs it, it is, for games? It's just the BAFTAs for games. So well-recognised awards within the UK, the British Academy of Film and Television Awards. Is that correct? It is, yes. Yes, and each year, which I think they've been doing for, it must be at least a decade now, They've been categorising and awarding plaudits to various games. So nominations have come out, and possibly not a surprise if you've been keeping track of this one, uh, but Hellblade is taking the most number of nominations at the moment. It's actually up for nine awards. Actor, storytelling, game, etc. It's pretty much hit a chord with the entire BAFTA selection committee. Following that, with eight nominations, Horizon Zero Dawn, which... It's a phenomenal game. I really love that. I haven't played Hellblade. I have played Horizon, and that definitely deserves some of those awards. Uh, and then uh, third place in terms of number of nominations, we have What Remains of Edith Finch, which has five, which I played fairly recently, and I was uh, very, very nicely impressed with that. Do you know, that is the one game I, I'm, I'm doing a year of shame at the moment, so I'm not buying, in theory, any games in 2018, and it's the one game I regret not buying in the sale they had on the PlayStation Store at Christmas before it all began. People just keep raving about it, and I really wish I'd bit the bullet. Yeah, that's when I bought it, and it is it is really good. So three top-quality, narrative-driven games are up for the most awards, which is great to see. The thing about the BAFTAs is, obviously, it does add that uh, film and television lens to it, so it isn't just about who's got the prettiest graphics and the most number of polygons in a character. It really doesn't think about the entire production, artistic achievement, audio achievement, best debut game, evolving games, family, innovation. It covers a really wide range, and it's definitely worth keeping an eye on on who who wins what. Very good. Do you know that my brother-in-law is a BAFTA award winner? I did not know that. Uh, yeah, there you go. So uh, in 2000 and, what was it, 2014, he won a BAFTA for the best children's preschool live action show for Old Jack's Boat, which he was the producer of. Oh, that's a very interesting fact. There you go. <laughs> the video game BAFTAs <laughs> are going to happen on the 12th of April, and they are going to be hosted by Dara O'Brien, which for anybody in the UK knows he, aside from being a comedian, he, he does like his games. Yeah. Um, and I believe it's about, the, I think it's the eighth year in a row that he's presented it. And he, he looks like the man on the back of the Megabus. I'm sure he'll appreciate being reminded of that. <laughs> I'll do. <laughs> yep. Tuesday, the 20th of March. 
So it's a day for nautical themed releases with Assassin's Creed Rogue remastered, which was overlooked at the time of the uh, last generation and mainly because Unity came out and was a bit terrible. And <laughs> that's, that's understating it. Missing heads and floating, floating eyeballs. eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that was <laughs> just weird. It looked more like Prey than Prey did. <laughs> and of course, Sea of Thieves rares eagerly awaited open pirate... Pirate... <laughs> Sorry. Open Ocean Pirate them up. You've written this script and I love the way you've written it, but I wasn't expecting it. Go on, do that again. Rares eagerly awaited Open Ocean Pirate them up. I've not played Rogue because it came out at the end of the last console generation and Unity wasn't very good. I haven't played Rogue either because I'd moved on to PS4 by that point and I played Unity instead. And the less said about that, the better. So what I did here is that it took a lot of the superb naval combat from Black Flag and expanded upon it and just produced another really stunning game. So I've avoided all of the Assassin's Creed remasters simply because I have current Assassin's Creed games that I've not actually played yet. So I don't really want to pile some more on the on the backlog, but I'm really tempted by this because I loved the naval combat in Black Flag. Sea of Thieves looks a lot of fun as well. I'll be honest, I didn't get a chance to get on the beta. It just looks like a good, fun game to mess about with your mates on. It does, and it's not one I'd rush out and buy. Well, obviously not, because you don't have an Xbox. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's the main reason. It, it's not one I, I would do that even if it was on a platform that I owned. Because I think that whole messing about with your mates, it does make me wonder, is there a point to it? Is there something that gives you purpose? And I'm sure there is, because Rare are not terrible game developers. But my last experience with Rare was ukulele, and... Yeah, I didn't get on with that too well. So there you go. If either of those float your boat, set sail. Oh! (laughs) Don't do it. I'll just leave that hanging, shall I? Wednesday, March the 21st. Ubisoft have announced the release date for The Crew 2, the follow-up to their extremely ambitious but pretty underwhelming original game, The Crew. The question begs, is the world ready to face off across a small-scale America again in a variety of cars? The Crew's a Marmite game, isn't it? The, the people who love it, love it. Yeah. And everyone else just doesn't get it. And I think that's where we sat. We we played the demo. It was probably a beta or an alpha, load-testing type thing, but it was a demo. Demo. And you played, what, the first half hour, maybe 45 minutes of the... No, no, we, we got a good chunk of gameplay, and we had a good chunk of world to drive around in. It was the story that actually put us off. It was so badly cliched. It was very generic. And it, it was one of those things where you kind of sit there in, in true terrible B-movie fashion. Uh, not even B-movie, 80s, 80s action movie was what it reminded me of. And you're just going, oh, I bet that cop killed his brother or something. <laughs> you're like, yeah, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's after you've just seen him walk down the street. <laughs> yeah. It was so terrible. I think even though it was enjoyably funny, I think that just put put me off, and uh, I suppose put you off as well, in it being a full game that we were going to have to go out and buy. Despite the fact I really like the idea of the massive open world of driving from one side of the country to the other. It's a good idea, and but Ubisoft, not world-renowned for their driving physics. No. No, they're not. I'm quite willing to be proven wrong, but I think it's, I think it's one to keep your eye on, not necessarily throw down the money for a pre-order. I think you, you hit it at the beginning, it's Marmite. If you enjoyed the first one, you're probably going to go for the second one. If you didn't, you might need a bit of incentive. It's due for release on the 29th of June, developed by Ivory Tower. It'll be on PS4, Xbox One and PC. And let's see if they can incentivize anybody buying it. You know, like giving it away free with a copy of The Division 2. 
Thursday, 22nd of March. On this day in gaming history, 16 years ago, which, quite frankly, I wish we didn't do these throwback Thursday things because it's just making me feel really old. It's your idea to do them. Plow on. Shut up. 16 years ago today, Ico was first released on the PlayStation 2 in the UK. That's a phenomenal game, and if you've never played it, I urge you right now to go out and either pick up the remaster or just go buy a PlayStation 2 and see if you can actually track down a copy of the original game on PS2, because I think they were quite rare at the time. Exceptionally rare, and I believe are worth a little bit of money now, particularly for in the card box um, original artwork style. I was a, a poor student at the time it was released, and I remember waiting for weeks for my local video shop to actually get copies into rent. When we eventually did get hold of it, I think uh, there were maybe two or three of us sat in a room and just blitzed it over a weekend and just was completely drawn into that understated, mysterious world. It's really hard to describe how enthralling an environment they created with such a simple game and a simple mechanic. It was a beautiful game. It was a brilliant game. It was unlike pretty much anything else that was available at the time. The concept that you you had to lead this girl around by the hand for her to go anywhere and incorporate you and with you and do anything. And then the demons or the monsters that you could only bat off with a stick and not indefinitely either. Yeah. It was just brilliant, brilliant puzzle game. It was really good, really it, it's difficult sometimes to classify games as emotional, but for this, it's a fair comment. It did provoke emotions. There's there's no dialogue as such. It's a, I believe it's made-up language that's in there, so you've no idea what's going on. You, you are just trying to understand what's happening through the actions and through the environmental storytelling. It just worked. But it was a cult classic rather than a massive commercial success in the UK. Mm. It was very successful in Japan. And then, of course, the spiritual successor to it was Shadow of the Colossus, which has recently been re-released on the PlayStation 4. Again, another brilliant game. But it's interesting because quite a few people that we know have kind of said, oh, no, I don't like that because it's just horrible. The Colossus are really, really beautiful creatures, most of them, and you're just a monster. And you're like, well, that's kind of the point of the game. Yes, yes, it is. It is exactly what you are there to do. Ico was this black and white thing where you have to rescue this girl and you don't really understand the underlying etiology of it. You just know that you're doing the right thing. Yes. And then Shadow of the Colossus just throws all that under the bus. It's almost that Ico's a little bit selfless in what he does and, and the way it's done. Shadow of the Colossus, you're selfish. Complete antithesis. Yeah. And then, of course, following that by some considerable margin. Oh, yeah, only a minor gap of about 13 years. <laughs> the Last Guardian. The Last Guardian, which I urge people to play that. If you've played Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, but actually it's more like Ico. It is really beautiful, really good. Have a go at the VR demo if you have the VR sets, because looking up at Trico in in real-world proportions is something to behold. It's a lovely game. It's a beautiful game. It is definitely worth seeing through to the end. One of the few pieces of vaporware that was really worth the wait. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it edged out. Given any of our regular podcast listeners know how big a fan of Hitman we are, Last Guardian edged out Hitman as my game of the year and when it was released. Friday, the 23rd of March. So, I feel like we need a... It, it, it does. It, it's that weekend. It's the first Grand Prix of the season. Yes, which I'm hoping, based on um, my slightly outdated knowledge of Formula One, is 
still Australia. It is. Yay! It is still Australia. Yeah, so Melbourne Grand Prix this weekend. We kick off the 2018 season and nobody's got a clue on what's going to happen because everybody's sandbags in testing, but there's a gut feel that Mercedes will be extremely fast again. It's a good time to remind people that last year, the best Formula One game to date was released. And if you didn't buy it, but you're a fan and this new season gets you all riled up and wanting something to play, go and get a cheap copy because it was brilliant. Easily the best I've ever played. Have there been any interesting changes to the rules this season, i.e. rocket launchers, turtles, oil slicks, anything like that? Magic stars that make you invincible? Sadly, my my petition to turn it into Wipeout <laughs> hasn't taken off yet. I was thinking more Mario Kart. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's when they bring in... They already have the energy recovery systems. Surely this is the case. They just need to put electronic pads in the way. That's all they need. But, it, no, uh, the major rule changes this year are, I think, the Halo system, which is the... Head protection. Oh, okay. Instead of having a windscreen, because nobody wants a windscreen on a car, it's like a, oh, it's like a skeletal outline. It's just designed to protect the drivers in the event of a crash. I, we're not going to be flippant about it. It is in after what happened with Jules Bianchi and his unfortunate accident, which put him in a coma, and then, then he did later die. It is all about driver safety, so they're bringing that in. I think that's the major one. There are other ones, bodywork-wise. The cars look a little bit different. I think they're skinnier at the back, and there's a new tyre being introduced this year. But to be honest... Really, a casual observer, it's the, it's the Halo device you're going to notice more than anything else. Okay. Just looking. Looking at a picture of the car. Yeah, just looking at a picture of the Halo. So it's, it's kind of like a T-shaped piece that comes up straight at the front and then curves around the cockpit. Yeah. Does that not obstruct their vision? Apparently not. It's like the pitot-static tubes that they have on the nose that you'll notice on the TV, but when a driver's in there, they don't actually notice it because their vision is looking past it. It's like when you have something right in front of you, probably at nose level, you're still going to look past it. We'll see when they actually get into the racing what it does. And, and after, you know, somebody's been battling for 90 minutes in 70 degree heat, we'll find out whether it's uh, whether it, it works or not. So the uh, first race of the season is on this weekend. The actual race is on Sunday the 25th. The qualifying is on the 24th. And if we've got this up in time and you're listening to it very early in the morning, why not flick the practice sessions on and see what's happening? Saturday the 24th of March. So Ubisoft is safe for now. Apparently Vivendi are selling off their shares, which are worth about $2 billion, after trying to accumulate a majority to force a takeover. They got to 27.3%, but the Guillemot family have always said they wouldn't sell. Looks like Tencent are going to buy up a small share, which will increase exposure in China, and the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan are, are getting involved. So some funds are seeing games as a relatively safe bet for investment, which is interesting. Yeah, I thought that was the, well, on the first hand, well done Ubisoft for not getting taken over by Vivendi. I know that has actually been a, a worry and must be a big relief for the company now because they're still family owned pretty much, aren't they? So that's great news. But more interesting for me, I think, is that pension plan starting to invest in big gaming companies, seeing it as a good place to put that cash and let it mature. Yeah, I, I suppose it depends on what we don't know there is the, the level of maturity of the fund. A lot of pension plans in the early years, they will take higher risk to provide a better return. And then as your fund matures and you get towards retirement, then it, it starts to get put in, in safer, more traditional yeah. investments. So maybe it's one they're taking a higher risk on. But it, I think it shows some some faith in Ubisoft and it shows the maturing of the industry, maybe. I think that's the biggest sign, isn't it? It's not seen as something to just ignore and not be involved in. 
maybe we'll see it happening with some of the other big publishers. And I'm not imagining it's going to go down to your indie developers, but um, EA and uh, other companies like that might be seeing the same or might already have it. We just haven't, haven't been aware of it. You perhaps wouldn't want to invest your pension pot in Molyneux, would you? <laughs> not unless you wanted it to be in the centre of the cube. It's Sunday the 25th of March. Did you have a restful night's sleep? Are you asking me or are we asking the listeners? Bit of both. No. No, I didn't. Not, not for bad reasons. It's just the clocks went forward. And so I lost an hour's worth of sleep. And I always dislike that. And they always seem to coincide the Australian Grand Prix with that happening. So it ends up about three hours sleep. Not best impressed. But I enjoyed the race. So congratulations to the person that won. <laughs> We're not at all recording this in advance. We have no idea what's happened. Okay. Excellent. I think you covered yourself there. But whilst we're talking clocks going forward, it got me thinking about time travel games. And I want to know, what's your favourite time travel game? What, mine? Yes, yours, of course. I like Quantum Break. Why? What's so good about Quantum Break? It was just different and it was fun and it it was a very nice looking modern game with some interesting and unusual mechanics that involved how you manipulated time. But it was also a game that really harked back to to some of the more fascinating and interesting interactive elements of my childhood, I suppose. So did you watch The Girl from Tomorrow? No, it doesn't ring any bells. It was like a, a kid's TV show in the early 90s, maybe even late 80s. It was on children's BBC, The Broom Cupboard. Mm. And it was about this girl from the year 3000 who... Um, somehow travels back in time to 1990 and gets kidnapped by a bad guy from 2500, which was the time when everyone's evil and the world ended, almost. Okay. But the time machine in that was described as a, a, a rhombicuboctahedron. Okay. How many sides has that got? I don't know. Too many. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but it had the feel of this bad 80s Australian kids drama. And then imagine if you splice that with 24 and you've basically got <laughs> the narrative <laughs> element quantum, quantum break. break. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds mad and it is, but it, it was really enjoyable. I really, I really like that. And then also the, um, the fact it mixes up the live action TV show element and the, yeah. um, the game part of it, it, it reminded me of the, um, the FMV X-Files games that they had in the, um, in the late nineties. Oh, yes, yes. That and like Wing Commander. You'd and skip between a gamey section and then you'd, you'd have some proper video playing where the action would unfold. And it just the whole thing was just, it was new and it was modern, it was shiny and it looked great. But it was just still felt really reminiscent in a weird way. I think mine's a bit more straight laced and it was Singularity. It came from Raven Software, I think it was a few years ago. I think it didn't do very well despite the fact it being a pretty solid game back on PS3 and Xbox 360. It was basically Cold War Russian scientists develop time manipulation device and you appear on a deserted island and solve puzzles and travel about through time with it in a pretty action-packed FPS. It was really good. It was Bioshock with time travel. Which I'm almost thinking, actually, Bioshock near enough is time travel. Yeah. There's different eras. But it had that kind of feel to it. It was that very much understand the world that you're in. Listen to your, your voice recordings and have a little companion telling you what to do. And it was just really, really nicely put together and massively underrated. Lots of action, lots of thrills and spills, and lots of nice touches where you do travel between time periods and see changes that have happened because of what you've done. Most of them scripted. It wasn't quite as freeform as possibly you would have liked, but it's still worth a go. And that would be the ultimate open world game, wouldn't it? Where you could just travel through time. Is that Grand Theft Auto 6? Yeah. 
<laughs> on on four axes. <laughs> a 4D game. If you're listening, Rockstar. Can't be that hard, right? Okay, so there you go. That was our week in gaming and uh, technology news. Quite a good one. I um, hope yes, it was anyway. No, it's good. And and in other news, we've uh, we've got our EGX tickets for September. Yes, we have. I'm really excited about that because we're doing two days this year. So we're going to be meeting up with lots of other people, lapsed gamers, uh, hopefully last save loaded, the lovely uh, VDJMB. That's it, yeah. Any, anybody else going, let us know. And if you're there on the Friday or the Saturday, we might be able to meet up and say hello. Yeah, that'd be good, right? If you want to get in touch with us about anything that we've been talking about this week, then you can do so by tweeting at Codec Moments. Or by hitting Facebook and finding Codec Moments on there. Lovely, right. Well, okay. We'll, uh, we'll be back soon. And uh, until then, adieu. Bye. Bye. Bye.